Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Family, Pastor Pete here. Great to be with you this Sunday. Excited to get into the Word with you. Uh, Julie and I had an opportunity to go to New York last week and take our daughter off to college, and we got to settled out there. That's where we're gone last week. I know you had a great time last week um, hanging out with uh, Pastor Mark online on Sunday and then Pastor Bren on Sunday night. So I want to encourage you to come Sunday night tonight as we're going to be in the third chapter of Mark. Hey, I want to just give a shout out to the women. Um, women, we have an opportunity for you to jump into a Bible study. So there's a new one starting soon. So I would love you to jump online to newvision.city and register or talk to my wife or some of the women ministry leaders so that you can jump online and be a part of that study. And so I want to encourage you, especially in this time of isolation still in COVID. We just want to make sure you stay in community. So I want to encourage you to come out. Hey guys, we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 and Numbers chapter 22. So if you can open up your Bible to both those books, you're going to, uh, we're going to be bouncing around. My sermon title this morning is Deviance of the Deceitful Part 2. We're going to continue on the thoughts of these false teachers and, and false prophets. A banker officer, a bank officer approached a junior clerk and asked if he gave him 50,000, would he help him alter the books? The clerk answered, I guess I would. The bank officer asked, would you do it for $100? Of course not, the man said. What do you think I am, a common thief? The bank officer said, we've already determined that now. Now we're talking about price. Guys, it's kind of a funny story, but in some ways it's the story of the Balaam story who was willing to compromise himself for the sake of financial gain. He had a price and he paid the price for his covetousness. And we're going to see the same for these false teachers and false prophets as we look at 2 Peter chapter 2. Much of what we're seeing in the second chapter of Peter's epistle is the work of the man rather than the work of God, the work of the flesh rather than the work of the spirit. That's what Peter is warning about, about the, the false teachers who have gotten away from the sensuality of Christ and his word. And we have made the preacher of the day the rock star instead of Christ being our solid rock. And so Peter is exposing the false prophets and teachers and how they live. And so chapter 2 is a hard chapter because we cannot neglect, neglect the warning that he is beginning to reveal. I know that Pastor Mark spoke about their character last week and we'll look at an example this week as we look at Balaam's story. So let's look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 50 to 17. I want to read that, and we're going to get into it. It says this, They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, fallen the way of Balaam, the son of Bor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried away by the tempest, for whom is reserved in the blackness of the darkness forever. Let's pray as we get into the word. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for our time in the Word. We pray your leading as we study it. And Father, as we study this text, as we look at this, this Old Testament story, uh, Lord, we pray that we would hear your Word and receive it and that our faith would grow. You said that faith comes by hearing your Word. And so we want to hear your Word today. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, that, Father, we can grow in maturity as we walk faithfully with you. So bless our time this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, the first thing, we're going to have two points this morning, and really the first one is that we're going to look at the deviance of Balaam in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. I read it already, but I'll read it again. They have forsaken the right way. Who's that? The false teachers have forsaken the right way and gone astray, falling 
following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity, a dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. Balaam is an example of a false prophet who have forsaken the right way. Well, we're knowing that many of these false prophets have forsaken the right way. And what does the word forsaken mean? It means that they leave or depart or abandon something. In fact, it means they lost their way. We can only think of an extreme case of that when you think of maybe David Koresh or Jim Jones, how these men started in the faith and then they lost their way. But you know what? It's not uncommon for people to lose their way today. In fact, I read a stat uh, this week. It was a survey done by Legionnaire Ministries in partnership with Lifeway Ministries. And they asked this question, is Jesus God? The response was unusual. 52% of people who answered the question stated that he wasn't God, but a good moral teacher. Of those who claimed to be evangelicals or believers, 30% said he wasn't God. What what does God's word say? I want to take you to the Apostle Paul's word in 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. He says, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. The Apostle John believed that Jesus was the Son of God and that Jesus was God Jesus said that one of the signs of my return will be a falling away from the truth. Not only for those that walk away from the truth, but even those that speak incorrect truth. I believe there are three groups of people in our world today. Number one, the non-religious. Some might call them the nuns who don't identify with any faith. The scripture calls them unbelievers or alienated from God or not of God. And then you have the, the religious. I call them the, maybe the moralists, the, the do-gooders, the, 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 the box checkers. They practice the, the righteous duties and have a form of religion but deny its power. They consider themselves good people. They believe they have done enough good to deserve favorable outcomes at the end of their life. They're kind of a, a work-based theology. If I just do enough good, I should go to heaven. And might even be cults involved in that and others that, that live like that. If I can just knock on enough doors or ride my bike to enough houses or make sure I'm good enough or make sure I don't sin or make sure I don't do these things, that's a work-based theology. Jesus said of these people, not everyone, in Matthew 7, 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have I not prophesied in your name? Has I spoken about God? Have I not cast out demons in your name? Done spiritual warfare? Done many wonders in your name? Done this great work? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Get that, I never knew you. Depart from me for your practices are lawlessness. He says your works are no good. But I also believe there's a third group of people called the gospel-centered Christ followers who believe they are saved by grace through faith. That the works they do is a fruit of faith and they trust in the work of the cross of Christ and not their own work. We read that in Titus 3, 4 through 7. It says, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by the works of righteousness, which, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified, acquitted by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What we're going to find in this story, I want you to turn to chapter 22. We're going to look at Balaam's story. 
we're going to find out here about how he represents these fallen teachers, right? We've been listening, reading and studying a lot of the Old Testament in chapter 2. We looked at the fallen angels. We looked at Noah's story. We looked at Sodom's story. Now we're coming to the fourth story of an Old Testament here. When you look at uh, Numbers chapter 22 to 25, as you look at the, the Balaam story. Let's give you a little context of what's happening in Numbers chapter 22. Actually, you have to go back to 21 because Israel has been building a, 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 a reputation. They had just defeated the, the Canaanites and the Amorites and, and the king of Bashan in chapter 21. And Balak, the king of Moab, was fearful of the Israelites. We read that in Numbers chapter 2 verse 3. And, and he thought he was next on the list to, to be defeated by the Israelites. And so both the, the Moabites and the Midianites are, are convening together to come up with some strange plan to come against Israel. But I believe that Balak would have been, Balak would have been worry-free if he only knew God's word and the power and the promise of God's word. We know that people perish for the lack of knowledge. There is some spiritual knowledge we need to have because it says in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 9, God had promised to give the land of the Moabites to Lot's family, not to Israel. See, Balak was fearful and not faithful, and he reacted to what was going on. How many of us today fail to understand God's promises and we fail to rest in his promises and we're more fearful of things than we are faithful and in our fear we begin to act irrationally? Sometimes even with this COVID situation and all that's going on, we have to learn to, to rest in God's promises and, and rest into the things he's promising us to do and be if we only hold on to his truth. So in reacting to this fear, Balaam the prophet is summoned by the king of Moab to curse Israel. Who is this Balaam? Balaam was a priest who was a, a diviner. Joshua called him a soothsayer in, in the book of Joshua, chapter 31, verse 22. He used astrology to create oracles and signs. And, and the practice of these individuals would, would be that they would read animal entrails and oil drops and tea leaves. Basically, he was a pagan prophet, a, a Gentile prophet. In fact, Balaam, his name means devourer, right? It's the same description given of the work of the devil of our enemy. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's the son of Boros, it says here. In fact, uh, some believe it's spelled here in this scripture as B-E-O-R, but some says it could be described as Boros, B-O-R-O-S, which translates flesh, which means he could have been a son of the flesh, meaning he, is, he practiced some fleshly things we're going to see in a moment. We believe, he says that King Balak believed the power of Balaam's words. Because we read in Numbers chapter 22, verse 6, they said, those you bless are blessed and, and those you curse are cursed. And so did they, they came to this diviner, right? They came to him with a diviner's fee. They brought money to say, we want you to, to curse Israel. But we understand the story, if you know the story, that Balaam could, he could hear from God. And God said, do not curse God's people. He gave warning not to curse God's people. It's very interesting. A pagan prophet could hear God's voice. And he heeded the Lord's voice, not to go with the Moabites and curse the people. He gave him a command. God said, don't go with them. He said, I don't want you to do that. But King Balak wouldn't take no for an answer. And he persisted with his request and offered Balaam much for his services. Read that in chapter 22, 
15 through 17. It's kind of a picture of our spiritual enemy who's always a pursuer of his people, always going after. He doesn't take no for answer. He's a roaring lion seeking who may devour. And he wants to devour Balaam's life, this, this prophet. He doesn't give up. And this king is pushing. But Balaam refuses to go in spite of the offer, but he sought the Lord regarding his request. Look at verses 18 and 19 right? He was open to the opportunity, yet God told him, don't go the first time. The, the king comes and offers him again, and now he says, I can't go, but let me go and seek the Lord. You can see the faltering of Balaam, right? Yet the Lord spoke to Balaam and sending you on a mission. He said, go ahead and go. Go. I'm sending you on a mission. Go with the Moabite princesses and only say the words, if I give you. And he saddled his donkey and for, went on a journey. We see that in 20 and 21. Now, it appears that Balaam is acting like a righteous prophet. He, he hears from the Lord. He's being obedient to the Lord's uh, instruction. We see that. But we're going to see here in verse 16 of 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. Balaam was remorseful for what he's about to do, but he wasn't repentant. We're coming to the most famous part of the story. Balaam meets Mr. Ed, the talking donkey, or Balaam becomes Dr. Doolittle in the Old Testament as he has a conversation with the donkey. Three of the most difficult words we say are, I have sinned, but saying them really isn't enough. Pharaoh said, I have sinned, but he didn't mean it in Exodus 9-7. Achan said, I have sinned, but it was too late, Joshua 7.20. Saul said, I have sinned, but not with humility in 1 Samuel 15.24. Judas said, I have sinned, but he didn't repent in Matthew 24.7. And here in this story, Balaam said, I have sinned, but it wasn't lasting in Numbers 22.24. Look at verse 16, what it says in 2 Peter 2. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. Let me tell you something, God will use whatever he needs to bring us under his lordship and lead us to repentance. The scripture says that the Lord was angered with, by Balaam and, and sent an angel Lord to, to intervene in the story. So here's the question, and it's the question that people often ask, is this, why was the Lord angry with Balaam when he commanded him to go? Remember, God had already told him two times not to go. So you already see the heart of God there. And God knows the heart of men. How many of us are persistent to want something even when God said not to? And I think you're going to see that in Balaam's life. He's, he, there's a reason why he's wanting to go with Balak, this Moabite king. But we're not seeing the picture. We won't see it till later. But God knows the heart of Balaam. But 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15 shares some insight with us of why and what was going on in his life. Because he said he loved the wages of unrighteousness. Even though he rejected King Balaam's offer in Numbers 22, 18, rejecting silver and gold, Balaam had root of greed within him. Let me tell you, false teachers today have that root of greed. The greed for money, the greed for power, the, the greed for prestige, for popularity. One of the requirements for leadership as a pastor in 1 Timothy 3 says, reminds, reminds us that God says his servants are not to be greedy for money. That's a requirement. And so what does he do? There's a work of the donkey. God's going to use a donkey to do the work of the Lord. I can use another name for donkey, but we won't go there this morning. But if you turn to Numbers chapter 22, verses 23 to 30, you're going to see the story. God will intervene in our lives when we stray off the path. 
He'll use people, situations, circumstances, plagues, storms, sickness, natural and supernatural to speak to our madness. And the donkey will be used by God to restrain, restrain the madness of this prophet. Interesting, to restrain the madness. What does that word madness mean? It means deranged. It means you, you're not thinking clearly. When Balaam was going to go, he wasn't in his right mind. And God was going to use a donkey. What does God got to use in your life to bring you into the right mind? Wasn't it the muck and the mire of a pig's pin for the prodigal to bring him back to his right mind because he was mad in his mind? What were the craziness things you've done in your life that God had to bring you out of your madness and he's going to use a donkey to bring Balaam out of his madness? I find it interesting in verse 12, Peter calls false teachers brute beasts. Now Balaam is rebuked by a beast, by an animal. Now, the story goes like this, right, as it relates to the donkey situation. The angel appeared three times with a drawn sword on the road, and only the donkey could see it. And three times he went off the road, and, he, he, and then on the third time, what did he do? He, he just sat down because he couldn't go nowhere. And each time that he went off the road, Balaam struck the donkey, and he hit the donkey, and he, 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 he hit it with the, the rod. And so finally, the third time, right, the donkey speaks, Right? He, the, donkey, the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and he said, what have I done to deserve this beating? I find it very interesting that the, the donkey was able to discern spiritual things, but Balaam couldn't. The donkey was able to see the angel of the Lord, who we believe was Jesus in the Old Testament, was able to see the angel of the Lord, but Balaam couldn't. Yet he's a prophet. He could hear from God, but he couldn't see the things of God. And we see that playing out here this morning. Balaam says, you keep putting on the brakes and you're abusing me. See how he makes it all about him? The, prophet, the, the false prophets just make it all about themselves. I wish I could kill you, he says. And the donkey said, do I act like this all the time? And Balaam said, no. They're having a conversation like it was a normal everyday situation. He's talking to a donkey. But I don't know who's the donkey really in this situation. But there's a conversation and at that moment, Balaam's eyes are open to the spiritual things. We see that in chapter 22, verses 31 to 39. His eyes were open and he saw the angel of the Lord with a sword drawn and he bowed down and fell on his, on his face. That's Christ in the Old Testament. And the angel revealed he came to stand against him because his ways were perverse. That's what it says in verse 31. And it's at this moment we know he falls off, he falls on the face, and Balaam confesses he's, he has sinned, and he was willing to turn back. We see that in verse 34. But the Lord said, no, 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 don't go. I will use you to bless my people. God will even use us in our mess, in our rebellion. He will use us. Balaam blessed God's people three times. You read about that in chapter 23 and 24. You can go back and read that. But we see that in the story that they had forsaken the right way and gone astray, fallen the ways of Balaam, the son of Bor. Balaam went a wrong way, just like these false prophets today go a wrong way. So the question is this, what is the way of Balaam? Well, we'll find out. In fact, if you continue on the story, Israel in chapter 25 falls away from the Lord. Israel worshiped Baal and had sexual relationship with the Moabites and the Midianite women in Peor. What happens is that these women became friendly neighbors, if you know what I mean. 
right? And the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel and he brought judgment on, that, on them. We see that in chapter 25, verse three, and over 24,000 people were consumed and died because they worshiped Baal and they had intermarried and had sexual relationship with these women. What you don't realize here is the hidden agenda of Balaam. The, the con man's actions will be revealed because that's what he was. He was a con man. In fact, you have to go to 1 Corinthians 4 or 5. It says this, therefore judge nothing before the time. Sometimes we sing to, but judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsel of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. God's going to reveal the counsel. He's going to bring to light the issues. You have to jump to chapter 31 of Numbers, verse 6, to find out what really happened. Here it is. Numbers 31, verse 16. Look, these women caused the children of Israel through what? Through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor, and there was plagues among the congregation of the Lord. What, what, what does that mean? This is what it means. What Balaam did with King Balak, he said, for your money, you know what? I can't, I can't curse the Israelites. I, I, but I could tell you how you can destroy them, right? Send your women to them and, and seduce the men. And what did he do? He caused a stumbling block for God's people for the sake of greed. He goes, you know, if you do this, I'll cash in. You'll get what you want. I'll get what I want. Just send the women, Send the Moabite women, send the Midianite women and have relationship with God's people and God's people will bring judgment on them and that's exactly what had happened. Here's a little homework for those who are Bible scholars. I want you to turn to Acts chapter eight and study Simon the sorcerer and see how that same similar story follows Balaam's story in some sense. So I'm gonna give you a little homework for you guys that wanna study later and get deeper on the issues of this greed and covetousness in spiritual matters. We know that in Revelation chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, it's speaking about the church of Pergamos, a compromising church. But it, it tells a story, a Balaam story, even the book of relationships as it relates to this church. In verse 14, it says, But I have a few things against you, because you have the, the, those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, it says, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which things I hate. What was this doctrine of the Nicolaitans? They practiced sexual immorality. They, they were involved in compromise there. The same thing that Balaam was in the doctrine of Balaam. Many of the false prophets and false teachers, they have been caught sometimes in sexual misconduct. We, we only read about that in the papers or we hear it on the internet about all that's going on there that that is an underlining issue, uh, underlining things are going on sometimes, and it brings a poor testimony. But what was Balaam's consequence for the con man's life? We see that in Numbers chapter 31, right? In Numbers chapter 31, it says, the Lord rounded up an army to fight against the Midianites. He said he brought a thousand men from each tribe. So there was 8,000 soldiers. And we read in chapter 31 of Numbers, verse 8, they killed the kings of Midian and the rest of those who were killed. Get this. Even, Evi, Rechem, Zer, Hur, Reba, the five kings of Midian, here it is, Balaam, the son of Bor, they also killed with a sword. Balaam died by the sword as he lived by the sword. 
thinking about the sword, the sword is kind of the word of God. We have the sword of the spirit as we look at that. But he was being held accountable to his words, his deceitful words, his manipulative words, his words of covetousness. We see that Balaam is kind of like a, a type of Judas. Both paid the wages for their iniquity. You only have to read that in Acts 1.18. He had deceptive words and he paid with his life. And so we see that in the story. But we know in verse 17, the deviant's work is dry and leads to eternal darkness. That's the second point is we're going to come to a close this morning. It says, these are the wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Peter brings two illustrations using the word pictures of wells and clouds in the middle in the, middle of the east, in the Middle East, water and rain were high commodities. They were precious and needed. Many, many of you guys, when you're thirsty, drink soda. But soda only dehydrates you. It doesn't quench your thirst. The point that Peter is making about these false teachers is that the, about these false teachers is that, they, that the Kool-Aid they are bringing only will not, will not quench their spirit. The Kool-Aid they're drinking will not quench their spirit. Guys, some of you drink that energy drink, that monster and that five-hour power, and you throw down that sugar and it stimulates you, and then you crash. These false prophets will tickle your ear, they'll stimulate you, and then crash will come. Be careful of these false prophets. They make us get up, they get up in an uproar, they tickle, we feel good about their words. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to man, but therefore leads to death. And that's the work of these false prophets. We're going to see the work now. Worthless words that they don't quench your thirst. That's the first thing of these false prophets. And we see that in Balaam. These false teachers and prophets appear to bring fresh water, but they were dry wells. They are wells without water, it says here. A well that doesn't produce water is worthless. In fact, the words of the false prophet doesn't bring life, but death. What do we have today? People are thirsty for truth. They are thirsty they need living water. Jesus offered the woman of the well in John chapter 4 living water, not the natural water. The natural water, she would keep coming back to that well. The natural water was with five men and she wasn't satisfied. Until she drank of the natural water of Jesus, he was the living water. That's when her life was transformed. That's when her life was changed and that's when her life was satisfied. But some of us are drinking from the wrong well. There's a tree called the Judas tree. It bears a beautiful red flower that attracts bees. But the nectar inside the flower contains an opiate that is deadly to them. This is evident by the piles of dead bees at the base of the tree. Don't drink of the dirty, toxic water from a dirty well. Be careful what you're partaking. Jeremiah, the prophet says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me in the fountains of living waters and hewn themselves or connected themselves to cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. But get this. We are the cisterns. It says, he who believes in me, as the scriptures has said, there's the word, out of the heart will flow rivers of living water, John 7, 38. 
Guys, as we're getting poured into and we're studying and communing and fellowshipping with God, then we'll speak out living water. We'll speak out the water that needs to touch it. And, and our words can be refreshing to so many people if we bring God's word. Be mindful of the wells you are partaking of today. But these false prophets like Balaam, worthless promises that will never come. They offer worthless promises that will never come. They talk about the clouds in the, in the sky was a sign of hope. The possible coming rain and the freshness is coming. But sometimes the tempests or the storms will come and blow the clouds away, only leaving the, the land dry, hot, and hard. These false prophets promise breakthrough is coming and pros prophesy prosperity and spiritual refreshment, but it always shows no substance whatsoever. The words are like misters, and their words just evaporate like misters and water. Jude describes them in Jude 1.12. These are spots in your love feast while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. There's no freshness in them. I'm only reminded of Elijah in, in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 41 to 46. He tells his servant to tell King Abraham it's going to rain when there hadn't been rain for many, many years. But he says, rain's coming. And what does he do? He goes on to Mount, Mount Kamel and he's sitting there, he's looking over the valley and he's praying and he's asking his servant, what do you see? What do you see? And he goes, I don't see anything. And he keeps praying. It says he, he goes down, he puts his head between his knees and he's calling and he's praying. And all of a sudden there's a cloud the size of a hand, the scripture says. And he says, tell Ahab, the storm's coming, the water's coming, get ready. The rain is coming. The labor of that prophet was one of prayer and diligence and seeking the welfare of the people and giving warning. That's a prophet that we need to listen to. But lastly, the worthless workers have a dark dungeon before them. As mentioned before, there awaits a day of judgment. There's a court appearance. He talks about the blackness of darkness in the passage. Jude 1.13 calls them wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. What is this darkness? Darkness is just hell, Right? Some think there could be different levels of darkness of hell relating to this passage. But we see this outcome throughout chapter 2. Throughout chapter 2, you keep, you keep talking about the judgment of these false teachers and false prophets. If he can judge fallen angels, he'll judge false prophets and teachers. If he can judge Sodom and Gomorrah and judge the, the culture, he can kill into darkness and they'll fall. He's doing the same thing. He's, Peter's consistent with his word. The word is consistent. The idea is if these false teachers are in the dark, how can they lead others to the light? And we have to be people that can discern what is true and what is false. That's, that's a mark of mature believers, says in Hebrews. So I close you with these three thoughts. Number one, the deviant teacher are susceptible to covetous, covetous behavior. They're there because they want something. They're there because they're self-seeking not because they serve others. We're called as leaders and pastors to have the mind of Christ, to put others before ourselves. But false teachers and prof, false prophets put themselves first. Second, the deviant teachers promised the world but failed to deliver. 
They promise a lot of things. If you have faith or, or just do this or just do this work or just sow this seed or, or plant this amount of money or touch your screen, this is what's gonna happen. Your breakthrough's gonna come. Be careful of that terminology and things they promise. They feed your flesh. They give you false hope. You can be healed by faith. Oh, you're not healed because you don't have enough faith. Be careful of their teachings. Number three, the deviant teacher is destined to doom in a dark dungeon. God has a place for those who lead the sheep astray. We have a good shepherd, a cheap shepherd, the shepherd of our soul. That's the one we need to keep our eyes on. He is the true prophet. He is the true rabbi. And Jesus' teachings is what we need to hold on to. We have to be careful that we don't pervert this teaching for our own selfish gain. But God has called us to teach the word like I'm teaching you today, this morning, that you would grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would get the whole counsel of God and that you would be healthy sheep because healthy sheep breed healthy sheep. And so I just pray that we just leave you with these thoughts this morning that he gives warning as we look at the Balaam story. Maybe God just wants to put a check in our heart. What is our motive? What is those greeds in our life that we have to be careful not be mastered by? What are the things that we just have to deny ourselves in the flesh? God, we ask that you would touch us in those areas that we walk faithfully before our God. So we just want to close this morning as we pray. Let's pray now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and your grace. And I pray your blessings upon your people this morning as we've looked at Balaam's story, Lord. Father, we want to look at our own story. And are we standing in right standings before you, Lord? We understand that we're saved by grace. It's not a work that we do. The fact the work we do comes out of our love for you. And pray that we would bear much fruit as we abide in you. Father, we pray that we can grow in love with you and know you personally and know you deeply. Not only personally, but in a community, as a church community. Because you said this is eternal life to know the only true God. And we trust you that we would grow in intimacy that our works is just an outpouring of our love. It's not for our salvation. We are already saved by grace. And so I pray for your people uh, this morning that are listening. May you bless them and may you look over them this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Love you guys. We're going to partake of communion now. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.